Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Today on the LOL Pod, I am joined by my guest, Amani Smith, and we talk about fashion, the narratives we tell ourselves, and the transformative power of finding our personal style. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Very excited to have a conversation today with my guest. She is a wardrobe stylist, Amani Smith. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you. And so I am going to start with, uh, like I do with all of my guests, and ask, what is your labor of love? Um, I took a little bit of time earlier this morning to think about the the right way to say it, but I've, I've I came up with I my labor of love is providing people with the keys to confidence through physical beauty and style so I don't do it for them I can't manufacture confidence for other people but I can definitely give you the tools to cultivate it on your own and that's my favorite thing to do that's my life's work that's my passion I love that so I'm gonna start with the full disclosure and this these are some of the best interviews that I have sometimes with people that I don't know. So Amani and I do not know each other, but we have um, a mutual person in common. We probably have many mutual people in common. We just don't know. Probably. However, one mutual person we have in common um, is Brittany Hair Kitchen Gray. Yes. And I wish I could tell you which episode, but she was one of my earlier guests and she is my hashtag more than a stylist. She's my hairstylist. And yes. we, um, Brittany and I have an amazing relationship and my stylist has a stylist, right? And so we started talking about when I was uh, preparing for a photo shoot, the beginning of 2020, I realized that I had been so immersed in one being a mom, which mm-hmm. meant that I stopped wearing jewelry. I stopped dressing up because oh. kids pool, they do all this stuff. So I was in mom mode and then I was in labors of love mode, which meant everything I wore was branded my branded t-shirts, my jackets, my everything. And so when it came time for this, this photo shoot, Brittany was asking me some questions, y'all. She asked some good questions. And essentially it's like, it's the, the fashion version of who are you? And I'm like, um, I don't know. (laughs) What do you like? And what kind of this and what kind of colors? And that's when I was like, wait a minute. I realized that at that point for years, I had really given up my own personal style and identity for the sake of the roles I play, which was mom and Mm -hmm. entrepreneur. And so we started on this journey of me rediscovering myself through a fashion lens. And then she like, well, my stylist, and I'm like, oh, hold on, my stylist got a stylist. Who is this? And so that's when she told me about Imani. I've been following her, semi-stalking her on social media ever since. And so I'm excited to have you here. And I love the way you framed your labor of love. So helping someone cultivate their confidence. That's amazing. Can you start by telling us where, where is that rooted for you? Where did this begin? Well, it started a while ago for me, just being a young woman and I've been pretty much plus size and taller than everybody for as long as I can remember. So if you can imagine shopping for me growing up, especially before I had, you know, a job, I was old enough to make my own money and do my own shopping. I pretty much was scraping the bottom of the barrel, working twice as hard to look half as good. And that wore on me. So once it was finally time for me to be able to uh, etch out how I wanted to look and what I wanted to wear, that's when I realized, whoa, why am I wearing this? Am I wearing this because that's what everybody else in class was wearing? Or am I actually interested in looking this way all the time? So my style has and always will continue to take different turns. Just it's, it's become my self-expression in every possible way. And at that point I realized, okay, I've got a good handle on this. I know what I'm doing. My wardrobe is stocked with all the colors I would ever want to paint with. I love to dress other people. And then it it turned into 
this is a little deeper than just putting clothes on other people because I would be in dressing rooms or in people's closets and they would kind of be having these moments and I would be kind of like, hey, cut it out. Like you look great. Let's talk about why you look great. You know what I mean? So after a while, my styling approach became a lot more holistic and um, in combination with the long time that I've spent in therapy over the years, I've kind of learned how to walk people through some of the things that I've walked through and just kind of tie it into, and you look good in V-necks. Like, you know, just kind of mix it all together and just apply it to the situation because people are going through a lot and it reflects in their personal style. And to the untrained eye or someone who thinks fashion is just shallow and vapid, it, there's so much under that stone that needs to be unturned that it's like I, I could never run out of things to do because so many people need help and so many people need guidance and it it's it's important to me so if that answered the question oh that was great so so many directions I want to go in <laughs> so I want to start with um talking about like body image and fashion as a young person so yes. for me I um, have always been a big girl, always um, been plus size. I, I remember distinctly like being a 6X when I was a kid, right? Okay. And then like that stuck out to me. I don't remember because I, you know, before that, I don't even know if sizes were a thing, but it was something about the X and the 6X. Like it's yes. a kid size and it, and I don't know why six X is not just six and there are no more X's. Like I, I remember getting fixated on six X. I feel like it was the first time in my life as a kid where, I mean, I could look around me and know that I was bigger than pretty much all of my peers, but mm -hmm. it was like this, this size came about and it made it a thing. So I remember yes. that. And then I didn't really I remember going to a store and noticing that there was a difference. So like think department stores, and I have to tell you, I do not like shopping. I attribute most of that to the fact that my mother shopped a lot okay. and I was forced to go with her and it wasn't very fun as a child. And I think that has a lot to do with it, but it also has to do with if I liked it, I came upon two problems. I either couldn't afford it or I couldn't fit it. Right. And so that triggered a whole lot of, I don't like shopping. Now my partner is on the other side of this door and I know he's rolling his eyes because he will probably say, you like shopping more than you think, but <laughs> growing up, <clears throat> there was that. And then I remember, so think department store where like, there's clearly one side of the store that sells male apparel and one mm. side of the sells female apparel, but then you get over to the female apparel side and then there was like misses and then, yes. um, there's another one, women, misses, and something else. And in one of them, the sizes were odd numbers. Yes. The other one is even number. Yeah, there you go. And I yeah. just, it created for me a very distinct feeling of other. Yes. <laughs> I felt other. Like I couldn't go where my friends went to shop. I had to go to the other section. And then as I got older, even now, so now at this point, I'm like in high school. I am a teenager who wants teenage fashionability in the 90s, but my body shape is only really being accommodated at like Lane Bryant. Oh, yes. And, yes. and y'all, let me tell you, Lane Bryant then was not Lane Bryant now. And Lane Bryant oh. now sometimes ain't even, listen. They've come my, a long way, but not far <clears throat> So my, so, you know, I have a plus size mom who would shop for me. She loves to shop, but she was also not a teenager. So right. her fashion sensibilities were very much geared to her middle ageness. And so it was very challenging growing up, finding things that felt both fashionable and youthful and affordable. So that's my experience growing up. And I can definitely say that it impacted my confidence and self-esteem a lot. So can you share with us like your journey and your story when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. Um, our stories are kind of parallel. My mother, she liked to shop too. I would go with her. I wouldn't have a miserable time, but I would always be looking at the junior section and kind of daydreaming about, oh, I wish I could wear that. And, you know, at a certain point, it, I just kind of 
disconnected a little bit. Like I would see those clothes, but they would kind of feel like a, like a distant, unreachable, you know, unattainable kind of thing. You know, I would read the magazines and I would just kind of, you know, remove myself from it because it was just so out of my reach. But when it would be time to do some back to school shopping, I do remember having a really kind of, not traumatic, but something that really stuck with me. I remember having a tough time shopping and my mother, bless her heart, she said something like, well, we can look in the maternity section. Mm. And that like, I knew she meant well, she was frustrated, you know, and our funds were limited. So she was just trying to, you know, make do. And I was just like, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but that one to this day, I'm just like, I, if I ever end up in that situation and if she was on the other foot, that is something I will not say to my child, but that's okay. Um, I just remember being really excited when stores like Debs and stores like Torrid started to crop up because before that, it would literally be me in Lane Bryant, 13, 14 years old, you know, almost dressing like a middle-aged mom and I'm a teenager and, you know, just trying to make it a little spicier with accessories that's pretty much where I leaned in I leaned into the accessories pretty hard because that was something that they couldn't shut me out of shoes and accessories um I that was my place that was my lane because I couldn't really go as hard with the clothing like I would have liked to so I feel like that that's where I found my solace but clothing wise I wasn't uh what what I was doing on the outside definitely was not reflective of how I was feeling on the inside. Mm. And yeah, it didn't feel good. Oh, good. Like they couldn't shut me out of that. Like I, I love that language. I also need to add that I wear a size 12 shoe. So oh, wow. and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I, I wasn't a 12 in high school. I was probably like an 11 or so, but okay. we're still talking a large foot. And I worked in a shoe store the summer between graduating high school and starting college. And so okay. I I saw the inventory, right? Yeah. My mother also wore 11 or 12. So they will send you literally 112, yes. 111, <laughs> you know, three tens, and then a whole bunch of eights and nines and sixes and fives or whatever. Well, fives, if you have a really small foot or a big foot, you out of luck somewhere in the middle. And honestly, I felt bad for the other big footed ladies because if my mom and I liked a shoe that came in, it never it made it y'all. to the floor. <laughs> right? Because we we scooped it up before anyone ever saw that it existed. But I also recognize like, well, I didn't recognize it then. I can see it now. But the messaging in it is there's something wrong. With, what's wrong with my size that we only get one? And I, yes. I found that I internalized so many messages of othering and not good enough or, you know, all of these different things that also... I think reinforced um, um, a mentality within me of competition, right? Mm. So we sometimes talk about or I can sometimes relate to not just competition among women, but I'm going to go very specifically to competition amongst young Black women in the environment that I grew up. It was just Mm -hmm. this air of like, she's somebody you're competing with. I did not grow up with this overwhelming sense of like, no, that's your sister. That's, that's your girl. You take care of each other. Right. And I realized that having scarcity as a primary mentality across many areas of my life really fed into this. I want to be connected with you, but in some way you feel like my competition. And I, what I want people to hear too is, it's so easy to think we're just talking about clothes. We, oh, no. nothing is just, <laughs> right it is never just anything and how much goes into how we see ourselves and how we see others based on things that seem very out there and small and distant like clothes and so what what I hear you saying and what I'm echoing is it's so much more than that and use it like accessories leaning into that as a way to externalize what was happening on the inside of you because you had access to that can you tell us more about that because I love that Oh, yes, definitely. Um, Even though in hindsight, it was really just us within our means, you know, the JCPenney's, the TJ Maxx's, all of that, like, I would really 
live for whenever it would be time for me to do some shopping, maybe quarterly I, in hindsight, you know, looking at it because that was before I was working. So, you know, whenever it was time for my mom to be like, let's go get you something for spring. Let's go get you something for, you know, winter. It's getting cold. Or what do you want for Christmas, you know? And I would find the cutest little Betsy Johnson at the TJ Maxx and, you know, I, that would just set me off. I would really be super excited about that because I didn't have to worry about growing out of it next year, or I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, it wearing thin in the middle because, you know, my thighs were too big. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I'm going to have to pause yes. you and ask that question. Yes. I don't think I'm the only person that has this question, but even if I am, I'm fine with that. I sure. have no idea what that means. What's a Betsy Johnson? Oh, oh, Betsy Johnson is a designer who uh, was super popular in the 1980s. She's got a super fun and eclectic, very colorful sensibility. So she, I don't believe, makes clothing anymore. Um, if I'm not mistaken, she really specializes in the accessories these days. So her brand is often carried in TJ Maxx's or Marshall stores. Gotcha. So it's okay. a it's a higher end brand, but it also happens to always be discounted for some reason. So okay. at the time, it was a big deal for me. So I'm like, ooh, a big name, Betsy Johnson. And it was colorful and it was bright and it was cute, you know, uh, cute for me at uh, that age. You know what I mean? Nothing wrong with Betsy, but it's not so much my taste anymore. But I feel mm -hmm. like that was what woke up my boring little old navy and my boring little lame bryant looks because that was as bright as the colors were getting mm -hmm. all I had. so when you say accessories tell us what what's an accessory so i i know that it's see i i think about it and i'm like i know what i think of but when you are styling someone and you're talking about accessorizing what falls into that category well, um, I suppose to just simplify it, it would just be everything that isn't clothing and everything that isn't shoes. So it could be uh, hats, scarves, jewelry, uh, bags, uh, you know, leather goods, you know, what have you, just things that are not clothing and are not shoes specifically. Mm -hmm. Brittany and I talk about hair being an accessory all the time. Oh, oh for sure. hundred percent. And yeah that that's cool and in the upping i i can say like we might have to talk offline because the more you talk i'm like yeah no i yeah so i got you yeah you know y'all gonna see of... me out here doing it up y'all gonna be like what i'm like check out episode so and so yes. <laughs> but yeah so accessories and so you grew up um having to figure out a way to get creative Yes. to externalize your own personal style and your own personality when wardrobe cho choices were limited to do that. And then um, can you talk a little bit about the confidence, like how being able to do that impacted your personal confidence? Well, my confidence journey has been a very long uphill road. Um, I can tell you I hadn't had any real confidence until... I was in my early 20s, to be honest. Um, even though I started working and started being able to afford my own clothes and all of that, it start, that was kind of the beginning of my journey. I feel like normal, regular, maybe thin or cute people start developing their confidence when they're like five, six, seven. So I'm, I'm feeling like I'm maybe 10 years, 12 years late to the party. So I feel like I'm making up for lost time at that point. But um, I remember having lost a little bit of weight around like 16 or 17. And then that's when people kind of started looking at me a little bit. And I started, you know, being able to fit into some different clothes. And I think that was the beginning. But at that moment, I distinctly remember having more eyes on me, but not understanding what to do with it or how to react because I didn't have a foundation of confidence. It was just almost a, a valley of very low self-esteem so any little bit of attention I got I just was either confused or too excited or you know what I mean so when it came to my clothing I felt like that was going on that was always a moving part going on in the background but the way it played out in the rest of my life it it started to feel good when people compliment me on what I had on because that was a foreign concept but then after a while I yeah, I had to do a whole lot of different other things to truly build confidence. Those moments of, ooh, I like your outfit, those were like kind of drops in the bucket. But after 
I don't know. After I decided that fashion was going to be the priority in my life, that's when I kind of started to put all the pieces together about um, what was going on in my wardrobe, what was going on in my head together. Before it was all just kind of fragmented and everywhere and I wasn't like paying any attention to what any of it meant. But after I decided, okay, fashion is my thing. That's when I started to kind of hone in and realize like, okay, this is going to be my style. This is what I like. But the confidence didn't come until way later. And speaking of Brittany, she was actually a super integral part in that. Um, like my very early 20s, I was working for District 78, her wife, Erica's old vintage store. And she said, my birthday was coming up or something. And she's like, what are you doing with your hair? I'm like, I don't know. I get a perm or something. I don't know. <laughs> Just something like, I might slick it back. I don't know. Just something real broke and you know very minimal and she's like let me do your hair so honestly at that point that was the jumping off point for me when it became hair becoming an accessory because to sidebar that my hair was always something that I didn't have a ton of control over and you know at a certain point one of my friends started getting really good at doing hair so she would do my hair but like hair was a big deal being a young black woman and I didn't always have it the way I wanted it. So not having the control over my hair, not having the control over my clothes, not having the real control over my overall image and also being bigger and taller than everybody. Like I was just all over the place. I didn't have that foundational confidence. I feel like I'm rambling, but I feel like I'll tie it in. But all but of those things- good. Just, It's so relatable. Like all of those things together, I had to kind of pick up all of these pieces like toward, 18 or 19, I just had like this sack full of pieces and I didn't know how to put them together. And then finally I, I started to, but it took way longer than I would have wanted it to, but I had to do it the hard way. I didn't have, you know, people in my ear all my life. Oh, you're so pretty, you're so pretty, you're so, you look great. Like that's not what I had to seal these pieces together. I had to do it all on my own. So I, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> no, it's so the question and it, it brought up a few things for me so one people talk about confidence and self-esteem often yeah. and I think it's important to to note a few things one how do we come to build confidence oftentimes is how we are taught to build confidence so we value ourselves based on how other people value us yes. and how we see people value themselves so as young people people growing up so much of our confidence that you know this word confidence that we use is it starts off like many things for children not something we muster ourselves but something that's given to us and then we build upon so we got to understand that those of us who for whatever reason did not feel as though people were valuing us for who we were, but valuing us from something externally, that's how we learn to value ourselves. Or we, we know people proximate to us are valuing other people. So I'll give an example. Um, for me, I grew up in a family where like good grades were super important. Yes. And so knowing that was a high value when I brought home good grades, I was applauded and I, I felt good about myself. Mm -hmm. And that was a value that was very nurtured within me. Now, honestly, what it led me to do is hinge most of my value on performance mm -hmm. and that led to perfectionism, but that's okay. It's not really okay, but what I'm saying is that's how I learned to value myself. Now, on the other hand, there was this, you know, this combination of keep it together, keep it tight, be smooth. I, I've said this so many times. It wasn't about being small, but it was being about being smooth, mm. right? So what that meant for my mom was uh, long line bras and girdles. Okay. That kept that kept that smooth look. Those um, were never very comfortable to me, right. not something I wanted to do, but it also meant that I felt like in part of me was constantly oh, here's this role, oh, here's this fat, here's this thing. And so it's either constrict myself in this way that feels uncomfortable and unlike me or be undesirable. And I internalize so much of this. So at some point we tell people, people across the board, but it happens to young ladies all the time. You just need to be confident with, oh, you know, have a better self-esteem. What does how? that even mean? How? How? Because as young people, as children in our natural development, we're given identity. 
we're given those things. And so I think that's important for people to understand. The other thing is things we internalize. So when you mentioned like you lost a little weight and then all of a sudden the attention started coming, right? And so a few things that highlights is you were like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, because by and large, you had been invisible for so long. And then all of a sudden instant visibility is is interest is is hard. I do want to bring people back to the fact that the ACE study, we talk about ACEs a lot, the adverse childhood experience study. Mm-hmm. This study originated with Kaiser Permanente in the mid-90s and it was around people who were involved in a weight loss program. Oh, was it? Okay. And they found that some of the people who had gone on to do this program um, were either dropping out the program or they lost weight and then gained it back in excess. And so that was intriguing to the researchers, um, researcher Falenti, Dr. Falenti, uh, yeah, Falenti, I think that's his name. But anyway, he was one of them and began to realize as they did interviews that so many of the people had ACEs, had sexual abuse specifically. And when you look at that, people lose a lot of weight and all of a sudden their whole world turns upside down on itself because now this attention and all of this stuff is coming someone who's had sexual abuse potentially now getting all this sexual attention that can be very triggering yeah the whole point is we live in a culture that is extremely fat phobic first of all and so we get messages directly and indirectly that your value increases when you lose weight your value increases when you look the part, which is usually very much based in European standards of beauty, especially as we were growing up in the 80s and 90s. And so all of this stuff factors in. So anytime you see somebody having a moment around clothes and you want to think they tripping, I hope what you're hearing is, oh, it's a lot more than that. It is a lot more than that. And so I just, yeah, thank you for sharing that journey and how so much more went into it. You know, Brittany and I, we talked about the hair journey, how that is so connected to confidence and being able to esteem oneself and all of this coming together. Ooh, girl, that's good. So, (laughs) So what does this labor of love of yours, helping people develop the tools to cultivate their own confidence, what does that look like in the here and now? Well, um, I, in an ideal client situation, I would start with a wardrobe audit. So essentially we would go into your wardrobe, you know, look at everything that's there, see what needs to stay, what needs to go, and then take it a little bit deeper. Why did you pick the things that need to stay? How did those clothes make you feel? And what do you hope to feel from the new things that you bring in to replace the things that you've gotten rid of? And all of those things seem really surface and really simple, but once you get to asking people, why did you buy that? That's when the truth starts to come out and then their process for shopping. And then it turns into, well, I hate shopping because this, that, and the other. So I really like to start there. And then from that point forward, if a person has events coming up or if a person just simply wants to overhaul their wardrobe, that's when we can get into shopping. And then when shopping starts to happen, trying things on, getting into the fitting room, that's when the the real work begins. Because sometimes if you're trying something on that you've never even attempted to reach for and you get it on and you're having these confusing feelings, well, I never wear stripes. I've, I've never worn stripes. I've never, why don't you wear stripes? horizontal stripes make me look big do they like how do you feel right now look at yourself right now what are you thinking so just kind of unpacking all of those things that have been ingrained in you you know like bigger women not to center the conversation around that but there's a lot going on um we're told not to wear bright colors we're told not to wear red we're told not to wear stripes we're told not to do uh, shorter lengths or lower cut top, like the things that have been told to larger bodies is just depending on the age of the person, it, it's deeply ingrained in the way people shop and the way people think about clothing in general. And I really do spend my time like dissecting that and kind of walking people through, hey, let's talk about why you have these feelings and where did that come from? what makes you think that? Do you really believe that? Or is that what's been told to you? 
So I think once you kind of dig through those layers, that's when you kind of start to become a little freer with your choices and when you shop. Because if you're just trapped in this little, I'm just going to wear black all the time because that's what fat women are supposed to do. If you're trapped in that box, then getting dressed isn't fun anymore. And what's the point in that? And ultimately, I feel like that's what it's all about, just enjoying yourself. And if you're off the clock and you don't have a uniform to wear, why can't you express yourself and enjoy what you have on your body, you know? And that's all I want for people. If they trust me enough, I would like to guide people, my clients, toward enjoying themselves. That's all I would really want for anyone who reaches out to me. so good so <laughs> you were like stomping up and down my street a couple of times and it was so funny I'm like mm-hmm, yeah <clears throat> and it is totally okay to center this conversation around fat bodies because we okay. often do not unless we are disparaging true. and so, so um being in a fat black body woman's body yeah I'm a center it why because I can because it's my show <laughs> all right <laughs> but I also think that it's <clears throat> it's not exclusive like I would never presume to say that there are not other body types and other people who don't experience this and I'm hoping oh, people for sure from that but these messages are somewhat somewhat sometimes explicitly told to us and then we catch them in other ways and some of the things like some of these myths that you just exposed exposed that was like oh I've said that I've done that I I had a pivotal moment this was probably it was very early in my mental health career I was working at a residential facility with adolescent mainly with adolescent boys and um so I'm talking we probably are going all the way back to like 2007 at this point and I just remember one of the young men asking me one day Miss LaShonda is your favorite color brown and I was like, oh, no. no, why? <laughs> like, why would you say that? And he's like, because you always wear black and brown. Or are, is your favorite color black and brown? No, why would you say that? Because you always wear black and brown. And I remember being like, uh-uh. But then I went home and looked in my closet. And I am like, oh, my goodness. And so another shout out to a previous guest, Mike Keish from Get Organized TNT was all up in my new house, helping me organize my pantry and my closet. And it is so interesting once it all got organized and she brought me in and she says, so um, do we need to talk about all these black shoes and black pants? And I'm like, (laughs) okay. You know, and I look and, and it's like, you get it on display and you're like, wow now I will do some color so what what happened was I started to introduce color when that young man said that to me but it didn't stop me from continuing to continuing to acquire all of this black because what black is slimming right you're supposed to wear black and I remember you had a, a social media post and it said something to that effect right like Black is more slimming. And it was a picture of you in all white. And I'm like, yes, do it, right? How we have to take these myths often and just turn them on their heads because they're not facts. We actually sometimes don't even want to believe them, but we've heard them so long. The thing about stripes, I have said that. I have not bought things because it was stripes or the colors. And so... And I, I recognize too, that if I were darker complected, there would be even more against bright colors. I, my, the hue of my skin, people haven't really put me on a color restriction for, Mm -hmm. from that more based on my size. Like even today I'm wearing all black with a denim jacket. Right. And you just look and you're like, I can go for the look sometimes, but to know that was my whole existence right black and brown I look back like man it's it's crazy how that gets in there so when you are with these people who have internalized the same things I've internalized same things you've internalized what do you find is helpful to get them to kind of be courageous and step outside of that box you were talking about well and just to preface it I find that the exact same insecurities they occur with my thinner clients or thinner people I've worked with too. And that's that 
guided, this is kind of a sidebar, but that kind of helped me because I'm like, wow, it's not just me, this this big person having these problems. It's everybody, everybody struggling with these self-esteem issues surrounding clothing. So that kind of unlocked something in me, like what? If they're having issues, I'm having it, we're all having these issues, why am I tripping? Mm-hmm. So that kind of helped me. But in terms of helping people kind of unlock all of that, I really do just meet people where they are. I assess how open they are to the process. I assess how forthcoming they are with um, other details of their lives. Um, I recently did a consultation with a client and, you know, we hadn't met each other, but it's, it started off really surface, but I was like, you know, I don't mean to pry, but can you tell me a little bit more about what happened that period of time where you feel like you froze? and why that was the best I think I asked like tell me about a time where you really loved your style and then you know maybe it was about 10 or 15 years ago or something and then I said you know I don't want to pry but can you tell me more about what happened between then and now and it ended up being you know something really traumatic so I find that when people are open and willing to share those things that have nothing to do with clothing that's when I can assess okay this problem is rooted in this particular event and this particular trauma and that triggered all of these other reactions through their clothing and that's when I can kind of map out my route to how do I get them from point A to point Z because they've got a few obstacles in the way and we can discuss all of them. I'm not a mental health professional but I know how to listen I know how Mm -hmm. to talk to people and I know how to kind of ask the questions to make people feel heard and maybe questions they've never been asked before. And I think that's the key. I agree with you. And I I think something that you may or may not have named for yourself, but what I hear that you're doing is you're not trying to be a mental health professional, but you are being human with other humans. And that is the part where I think so many professionals across all kinds of markets get lost is they want to be sometimes people don't need a stylist. They need a human style. And I hear that you are meeting people where they are. You're being human with other people and you're helping people be seen in very vulnerable spaces. I ain't gonna lie. One of the most vulnerable spaces that I can go, I consider sometimes a fitting room to be more vulnerable than a gynecologist table. Oh, for sure. It's like, you know what I mean? You go to the gyno once a year, you're like, it is what it is. But I, there's a moment of pause before going into that fitting room with that, that stock of clothes, right? And I used to have these incidents where you take in 10 items. They are so cute. Oh my God, I love it. And then you're in tears because one, if any, actually fit you the way you hope they would fit you. And I think sometimes that people who haven't had that experience don't know how demoralizing that can be, like how how activating and how, how that can be. And like you said, I know there are people across all kinds of walks of life and body types and heights mm-hmm. and men and women who have experienced that. And what I know is our brains and body collaborate together very often to help us avoid pain. Oh, yeah. And so what I'm one of my new things that I'm trying to do is I'm exploring my beliefs and I identify my beliefs by what comes out of my mouth. And some of them aren't real, but they've been fabricated to help me avoid pain. For Mm. example, I can't keep plants alive. I think that's a lie. You know why? I've done a pretty good job with three humans. And I'm just saying, I know it's different. But if I can keep these three kids alive, I think I should give my myself a shot at at nurturing and cultivating some plants. But the fact that I said, like, I'm just I'm not a plant person. Right. Mm-hmm. Or when I say things like, you know, I'm not a gym shoe person. That's not true. My, right. my husband helped me realize that wasn't true. What was I avoiding? I was avoiding the fact that I wore a 12 shoe. Mm-hmm. If if they and then women gym shoes, if they came, I probably never, it probably never hit the shelf. So I wouldn't get it. So you think the cute colors that I was always trying to get, I I didn't, I have squoozed my foot. Is that a word, squoozed? It, <laughs> squeezed, it, yeah, it is, yes. squeezed my foot into some uncomfortable shoes my whole life because I wanted oh. to be 
cute, but it was too big. So what I've seen, you know, I'm just not a gym shoe person. It's not true. I love it. But I just had to get past the point where I was trying to avoid pain. And so that I'm not a shopper. I don't like shopping. I can hear myself now in this moment going, girl, that ain't true. Now you'll keep perpetuating the lie because you've been saying it for so long, but really you're just avoiding the pain of having to look for things and the potential that it won't and all that it brings up from those early years. And so I really appreciate the work you do because it has the potential to help people like me examine some of these words we've been saying for all these years and really get down to let's acknowledge the pain that that comes with these experiences we've had so that we can heal from them and recognize that they don't define who we are and they're just a lot more resources now. Oh, for sure. I feel like I have 10 things younger. to add to that. Yeah. Please yes. go for it. Um, I, I guess the first thing that really jumped out was like, I the, t- the fitting room situation. I spent a lot of my retail career in the fitting room and specifically the time that I spent at Nordstrom, I was in the suiting department. So my clients would often be very wealthy, very established um, people who seem very put together and, you know, are paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for their suiting. So just seeing those women have those same exact issues that the ladies I would see at the Gap where I used to work, you know, a totally different customer having those same issues, those same complaints about their bodies and having these terrible things to say about themselves. That also was just like, hmm, there's, there's something, there's a commonality between us all not just me. So I feel like I did have to add that. It's like every walk of life, everybody, whoever you see on the street is going through something. Mm -hmm. So the clothes are just a facade, that part. But also the stories we tell ourselves, those narratives that we write for ourselves. I really, that's something that I have to stop myself from trying to jump in and correct people because I'm like, hey, maybe they're not ready to rewrite that story for themselves. But when I hear it, it, it like triggers me because it's just like, who told you you're not photogenic? Who told you you can't wear a crop top? Who told you that? Where did you get that from? But I'm like, hey, Imani, chill out. Like, they're not asking for your help. Just, just work on it when you do it and be an example. But honestly, I that really kills me to hear when people are like saying these kind of disparaging things about themselves, whether it be about fashion or style or what have you. It just kind of is just like, why? why? Ask yourself, why? What makes you think that? Why can't you keep those plants alive? You know what I mean? Like, why? You know, but we definitely do tell ourselves things and we don't check in to see if they're still true after a certain period of time. And I think that that's an important step, especially when it comes to style. Like, I briefly had a maybe six or eight, uh, eight piece blog that I wrote about kind of connecting mental health and style. I hadn't written any of it in a while, but I do remember writing something about that and just talking about checking in with yourself and seeing if your inventory still matched what was in stock. You know what I mean? Like, are you still believing those things? Do you still feel that way? Or are you just holding on to a thought you had 10 years ago? And that's just how I think. Like, are you, have you checked in with yourself lately? Yeah, I think that's important. That is so good. I think this is a good point to to bring up the theory. There are three questions that I'm learning to ask myself and I am encouraging other people to ask themselves when it comes to any belief they uncover. The point of this is not to get rid of beliefs, but it is to examine it. So when we identify a belief, whether it's I, I can't keep plants alive or I don't like shopping, the three questions I'm going to ask myself is first, who told me that slash where did I learn it? Yes. Right. Why I find this important is because sometimes we be taking some information from some real uncredible sources and making mm-hmm. it facts in our life. Right. Like I wouldn't trust you to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm gonna sit here and wrap my whole world around a thought that you say. Right. So who told me that? And or where did I learn it? Sometimes we realize that the even if the source seems credible, they come from a different place, a different set of resources, a different all that stuff. So who told yeah. me where did I learn it? The second question is, is it what else could be true? And what I like what you said is, is this still true for me? I think that fits in that category. What else yeah. could be true? It's not even to say, oh, this isn't true. Maybe it is, but what else could be true? There are so few things in life that are just black or white. 
We live in the grave. So what else could be true? Could it be true while this thing is true? Because something else being true doesn't necessarily mean that the thing I think is untrue, but it opens us up to possibilities. And then the third question that I ask is, who is being, who is benefiting and who is being harmed by my belief in this? And what I found is I would go through some of these beliefs and the common denominator of benefactors were rich white men. Mm. my belief that my body is not good enough when it comes down to it you know who benefited from that rich white men who are funneling their money through the things down the advertisement that tells me I need shapewear that tells me I need a whole bunch of makeup that tells me I need to do this they're benefiting I'm being harmed yes you know the belief that you know black bodies and bodies of color are less than white bodies who's benefiting from that you know all of these beliefs like who benefits and who's being harmed because our beliefs fuel our behavior. Right. And if I don't check my beliefs, then my behaviors are going to enact those beliefs, right? And if the belief is doing harm, then eventually I'm gonna start doing harm because I'm enacting that belief. And I think that's so important because so much of these narratives <laughs> that I like you're talking, I'm just like, yep, thought that, yep, said that. It's just like, it's so deeply ingrained that I so agree with you, Amani. We don't sometimes just pause and go like, is it still true? I think people don't wanna do this because if you come to the conclusion of like, that's not true for me now, there's this feeling that it somehow invalidates all that you went through because of it. It doesn't, Mm, it doesn't have to because it was true for you back then. It was a way you needed to keep yourself safe. It was a way to avoid pain. That gets to be real. That is real. Yes. And, And today, it still doesn't have to be the way that you engage. And I think if people are able to step into the nuance of separating those things, then some of the things we're talking about become a little bit easier because it doesn't discredit all the things that you've been through. And it sounds like people, your clients who are working with you are fortunate enough to be able to go through some of these processes of un, unburdening themselves with old baggage yes. that no longer is fitting their lifestyle. And I think the old baggage, that doesn't make it unimportant. It just makes it a little too heavy for you if you want to take that extra step further. Mm -hmm. You might have to unpack it a little bit and maybe mix it around or maybe just put it to the side, revisit it. You don't have to completely get rid of it or, you know, never, you know, handle it again. But, you know, it is yours. It was in your ownership. But definitely um, just taking a moment to engage with yourself. I think that's, that's a good practice for styling yourself for everything, for your career, for your relationships, like everything. You really do have to check in with yourself and allow yourself room for growth because it is painful and it's always going to be. It's never going to get easier, but you have to get stronger. And I think that that's, that's a tough uh, step to take at any point in your life. Yes. So you talk about this process you go through with your clients and then you get to the shopping portion. So are you a shopper? Meaning like with your, for your clients, you take their personal style and you buy stuff for them. Do you go with people as they're shopping? Do they shop and then you style? Tell us, and it might be some, a little bit of all of it, but tell us what that part is like. Sure. Um, I'm definitely super flexible when it comes to that. Um, My favorite thing to do is uh, fit sessions. So my bread and butter is vintage and thrifted clothing. So um, that's the way I, that's the bulk of my wardrobe. That's the way I like to shop. And I feel like it's a super sustainable way to uh, attain higher quality garments and you know that it's just it's my thing but if my clients are into it I'll go to a thrift store maybe an hour and a half to two hours ahead of time with their sizing information and pull as much stuff that I like and that I would like to see them in as possible and then they'll come and try it all on Um, I'll pull it as looks Um, I used to do it on my Instagram I used to uh, style and photograph each look and kind of go into detail about each piece. I haven't done that so much because COVID kind of really uh, stamped that out. But then when things started to open back up, I was still a little nervous about continuing it. But that's my favorite way to shop. But otherwise, um, 
for my busier clients, I shop online. Like I'll literally spend hours just scouring the internet for whatever it is that you need or whatever it is that I feel like you need. And then I'll send you the links and you can decide if you want to go forward, forward and purchase those things or not. But um, yeah, I can do that or I can go physically to a store and pull for you. Or, you know, you can come in and try things on. Like I'm really very flexible when it comes to that. Whatever works with a person's lifestyle. But I definitely, if it was up to me, I'd take everybody to the thrift. Because I feel like newer clothes are very cheaply made. If Unless you're trying to spend a ton of money. If budgeting isn't an issue, then sure, we can we can go wherever. We can shop wherever you want. But if you're concerned about your budget and you'd like some higher quality pieces, we can get you into some vintage. And I'll be more excited about it. So I did. I used to follow your Instagram when you would do that. <clears throat> and I would be like, I would never put those two things together, but oh my God, that looks really good. Or just yeah. these things that, you know, I realized one, it's just, it's just not my gifting and that's okay. But what you just said, I, I feel like I try to say this every episode. What is your passion? What is your labor of love? You can monetize it, okay? Because there are people out there who don't want to do or can't do what you do. So right. I hear this and I'm like, yes, the fact that you said you spend hours oh yeah scouring like my whole body was like oh why would somebody do that like oh my god but I y'all can't see her but I saw the joy in her face and she was talking about it so what I think is here's this thing that I would like to have right like a personalized fashion sense and clothes that I feel good in so there's a thing that I want but I also recognize that I lack the skill set to do it efficiently and I don't really enjoy it. And yet there's a person here who gets giddy talking about hours of shopping and going <laughs> an hour and a half or two early and hand picking items. I'm like, that sounds like my nightmare. And yet it brings her joy. So this is what I mean. There are people who do things you don't want to do and something you're super good at. There is somebody out there who is like, I would love to pay somebody to do this for me because I just don't want to do it. And so I love that. I feel like I, 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 in this moment, I have, I feel like a teensy weensy more bit of understanding and compassion for my mother shopping. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because it brought her joy, you know, yeah. and, and she is the person that goes, she thrifts and I mean, will go item by item. Yes. And, you know, I slowly die inside every time I hear that metal hanger slide to the left <laughs> of that thing. But like seeing the joy in your face I recognize that her and I don't have to have the same thing and, and we definitely she gets it you know she hates taking me shopping as much as I hate going because she like as soon as you find what you want you check out and I'm like uh-huh right. done don't want to be here anymore but I love that and that you really do find a sense of purpose not just oh I like shopping but you are taking that person into account of what you know about them and helping making you know building that confidence I love that. So tell us just like, okay, so you take someone from the beginning of the process, getting to know them in consultation all the way through to going through and purging their wardrobe and picking out their style. What's it like when you're with that client who looks into the mirror and sees themselves in a different way, maybe for the first time? What's that like for you? That is just pure joy that is pure joy very few things bring me joy to be perfectly honest with you but that is something that you can't replicate any other way at least not for me um that feels like I feel like a proud mom I'm not a mother but I feel like that I feel like I, I just coached a winning game in some kind of a sports situation I feel like I don't know. It's just like every possible thing just activates in me. And it just feels like this is my purpose. This is my reason. This is it. Like, that's something that you can't go to the store and buy. I, you can buy the clothes. But as soon as you're able to put those pieces together and something in you just lights up and you're looking in the mirror like, who is this? It's me. Wow. That moment is so special. And it really makes every difficult period of time in my life worth it. It makes every 
every trial, every every terrible episode of my life worth it. Every everything is in that moment where a person is just like, wow, shocked at themselves, shocked mm-hmm. at their appearance in the, in a positive way. And whether or not they can replicate it again later, if they need my help or if they no longer need my help, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just as long as that moment happens, it, you can't take that back. You're never, you're forever changed after you have a moment like that. And I can so agree with you because it's not necessarily, it's not around fashion, but I know what it's like when I'm with a person who can see themselves internally differently than they saw before when they have more self-compassion and curiosity and begin to love themselves you're right it's like oh like it's like it's almost like being a doula like you're aiding in a birth of a person and there is nothing like it so I concur with that and I will say like where our work overlaps is as I'm working with a person doing stuff with them therapeutically Mm -hmm. one of the telltale signs of how their confidence and self-esteem is improving and increasing is how they dress and how they show up it can be adding more color or taking off layers they're no longer trying to hide you know or they are trying a bright colored lipstick or they've done something different with their hair or and and it it just becomes this externalization of their internal And I absolutely love that because people have a tendency to not outwardly express what they feel shame about or what they Mm -hmm. don't like. But once they start to love themselves, it just shows up because they're showing more of who they are. And it is a fantastic feeling. So I love, I feel like we're going to have to collaborate or something that's like, hey, You do this work and here's a person that can help you externalize that work. So I absolutely love it. Amani, this has been fantastic. I'm sure we could talk about so many things for so much longer. (laughs) Um, But I just really appreciate, um, you made a statement early in the beginning, you know, like for people who think fashion is just flipping or, you know, shallow or it doesn't matter. And I do. I think a lot of people think that, but I also think that's a narrative they've created. Mm -hmm. to help avoid pain. I am appreciative for you for bringing um, such a perspective to me and to my listeners today where we don't have to hide behind who needs all that or all these things that we say, but we can go like, oh, because it's so much deeper than that. Yes. And I appreciate that. So if someone was listening today and they like, "Mm, I need some Imani in my life and they want (laughs) to find you and get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. Um, I am pretty easily accessible. Um, I feel like the easiest way at this moment is to reach me either through my site. It's my first and last name, Imani Smith at folio, F-O-L-I-O-H-D.com. There's a contact me link there. You can write me a brief message. It goes straight to my email. Or you can email me at styledbyimanis at gmail.com. Or you can reach me through Instagram. My DMs are typically open, or you can hit that contact button on my profile. Um, just shoot me an email. Let me know what you're interested in, and I can get your consultation going. Honestly, I would love to make some room for some new clients, and yeah, I would be happy to help. That's awesome. Obviously, we're going to have her contact information in our show notes. And finally, Amani, I like to round out the interview by asking my guests a fun, interesting, or little-known fact about themselves. Okay, um, let's see. That one's always a tough question for me. Um, I suppose it would be that I really, as you know, as high maintenance and frilly as I might seem, I really do enjoy nature. I love the outdoors. Um, if I, as long as I know what I'm getting into and I can dress properly, I really do love to spend time outdoors. I feel like nature does recharge me, and the time that I spend in the sun is just really activating. And I, I love this time of year. Um, even though it's a little unseasonably cool, just the sun and the longer days, I, it it does something for me. And I don't think that people would gather that from seeing me. I think people make a lot of assumptions about me, but I, I love the outdoors just as much as I love the indoors. Awesome. Thank you. And the sun is so good for us. 
So Amani, thank you for taking time out to share your labor of love and your passion with us today. It was so great talking with you. It was great talking to you too. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to speak on it. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to give a special shout out to my producer, Jay Suck from Instant Classic Media and Trey Angel, who provides all of the music for the Labors of Love podcast. And of course, to you, my listeners, I never take it for granted that you tune in and listen. If you have suggestions for content or for guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. If you haven't, head over to Instagram where we have a brand new page just for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And if you haven't already, take a few minutes, please give us that five-star rating, write us a review, share the podcast with your loved ones and your friends. Until we connect again, you all be well.